We'll be reading again from First uh, Peter 3 as we finish up on a, a little mini-series on apologetics. Entitled this, uh, Giving a Reason for the Hope that Nourishes Us, because uh, Peter is assuming that such questions as these will be asked uh, God's people. And that's such a positive thing to think that someone would actually ask uh, for the hope, the reasons for the hope that you have, or the reasons for the faith, or the reasons for uh, the comfort that maybe your life is exuding, you know, uh, so they're, they're wanting to see what makes you tick. Why do you live like you do? So uh, we'll read from verse 13. Uh, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who reviled your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Oh, let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to... Uh, know your word, uh, to grow in your word, to live out your word, Lord, that we may glorify your name. Uh, make us doers of the word and not hearers only. For we ask this for your glory. Amen. Get the old clock out here. Um, I'll remind you that what we first talked about was how your life is the most important apologetic, right? It's how you live. And that's really mainly what this passage is about. This is the passage everybody goes to to talk about apologetics because it actually has that word apologia in uh, verse 15, make a defense. And it's the word, as we saw, that it courses through Acts, when Paul makes a defense before authorities, this is the word that is used as he defends why he does what he does, uh, why he lives the way he lives. So, but even though this is the text about apologetics, it's just surrounded with how you live. Like back in verse 8, as we saw, uh, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And of course, that's speaking of people from the outside causing harm and, and uh, reviling and attacking. But bless them because you were called for, uh, to obtain a blessing, you're called to give blessing as, uh, as you live. And then he says, there in verse uh, 16, even when you're answering, you do it with gentleness and respect. You have a good conscience. 
And even when you are slandered, they're saying evil, false things against you, your good behavior may cause them to be put to shame. So our lives run interference for us, right? And we saw how Paul in Titus 2 tells uh, servants to adorn the doctrine of God, which is an amazing statement, as we said. How could my life adorn the doctrine of God? It could only taint the doctrine of God. You know, it could only cloud and seemingly take away from the doctrine of God because my life can't compare to the doctrine of God. However, we so can be caused to be changed from glory to glory into the image of Christ so that some of that beauty breaks out in this world and that can draw people to Christ. And as he, Peter says, and as Jesus says, and they will glorify your father uh, because of it. So I'm just underscoring that again uh, to, un, to, because that's again where the emphasis is in the New Testament. Uh, very little is actually said in the letters themselves about speaking the gospel to others, though it's an assumed responsibility when God gives us that opportunity. But all the weight is given in living your life out before other people. And I handed out a lot of passages about that too. So uh, last week we started on the... Oops, sorry. Sorry about that. We, we started on the word part. That, what I've been talking about is the deed part, right? And uh, last week we uh, started talking about some of the basics of, of giving reasons or... Uh, let me do the thick part here. There we go. And I favor a... I favor apologetics, so-called, as just an extension of talking about Christ, an extension of evangelism, a part of our speaking the gospel to others. Now, it may have a little more pointed uh, parts of it, but it's nothing really different than wanting to attract people to the gospel. I mean, if you're ever evangelizing and ever speaking to someone about Christ... You want to set something of the beauty and the wonder of the gospel before them. You, you want them to smell the roses, you know, to smell the sweet aroma of the gospel, to see some of that uh, beauty. Uh, and so, but as you think about apologetics and give reasons for people, the two things kind of blend together. But I don't look at apologetics as this constant reasoning and trying to convince them more just present the beauty of Christ, you know. Let, let the word speak for itself. Now, there are books on how do you answer questions about uh, the inconsistencies, apparent inconsistencies of the Bible, or how do you answer questions uh, about why we should believe the Bible. But I think the Bible itself simply encourages us to speak Christ to others and, and let that shine, let that light shine of who Christ is. So one thing we talked about last week are Christ's own claims.
because people tend to say, well, I don't think he was, I mean, most people would say, well, I don't think he's an evil person, but I just think he was a good man. I don't think he was the son of God. I don't think he was God. Or he's a good man and Christianity's a fine religion, but there are a whole bunch of other religions too. And he's just one of many religious people. But as you, as we talked about these in John, and I encourage you to read through John and just write down all these claims that you think, if I shared this with somebody, they'd say, that's not a, a good person's not going to say something like that. You know, a good person isn't going to claim to be, I'm the unique son of God and all judgment in heaven and earth is in my hands. <laughs> no human being is going to say that. So you want to drive that wedge into them and say, you have to take him or leave him, but don't make him to be something, just a good man. He doesn't allow that by his own presentation of himself. Uh, so those claims, and John's a great place to, to begin. And then, of course, you can always talk about the empty tomb and the resurrection and Paul's conversion is very hard to... Why do you think this man who was zealously attacking believers approved of them being put to death and thrown into prison and he claims and he says it three times in addition to the event itself in uh, Acts 9, three times Luke presents Paul's presentation of that event. So it is huge in Acts. It's the main feature in Acts, really, by, by sheer quantity. It's the main, one of the main things. And so uh, that's a great, you know, another wedge to drive in there that has to do with the resurrection of Christ because Paul claimed that Jesus spoke to him, you know. And, and what he said to say, you're attacking me, Paul. And he's you know, for Paul, no, I'm, I'm attacking these Christians that are opposed to you. No, you're attacking me. I mean, just think of the challenge of that. And I think it's good to be, bring people into that drama, you know. Just say, okay, you're Paul, you're walking along, you're a Jew, and, and this happens. How else, this is what Paul himself claims is the reason he suffered for the rest of his life getting that gospel, that good news, speaking of that Christ that he said appeared to him. How else would you explain that? That's a good question to ask, you know. And, and all the while you can say, this is one of the things that has convinced me of the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ and why I trust him. And I've found that he's transformed my life as well. It's all friendly. It's not argumentative. You're not trying to win anything, you know. And, no, no, you need to see, you know, it's just... Just let it, let it go, you know, just uh, present uh, those kinds of things. We talked about the, the, just the beauty, but kind of the romance of the gospel. Uh, the fact of this rescue of a prince. <laughs> and he, his bride is captured by the evil dragon and he rescues it. It was one of the most beautiful stories that we we all love. And that is the story of the Bible. That's the story of history, you know, that God comes after the, uh, and, and of course, the bride he came after was corrupt. 
Never the case, you know, in the fairy tales. She was beautiful, perfect, you know. But he, he came after a corrupt uh, bride. In fact, we won't use the word, but uh, God caused us terrible things in that regard because we had so adulterated ourselves, you know, before him. Um, but also, you know, the, we talked about this, the idea of uh, the hero God, that what we do, how we recognize heroes, how we recognize people that die for others uh, in the police force or the f- firemen or soldiers or whatever. Um, so there are one or two I'll mention in, in addition to this. One is to talk some about, now here you talk about the ethic of the Bible. Don't you love that squeaky? Is that bothering anybody, the squeaking? Okay. <laughs> For some people. <clears throat> um, this, you know, uh, to take a, you could have a group of passages that you're ready to talk about and say, uh, here's 1 John 3.16. It tells us that if our, our uh, that, that as he gave his life for us, we're to give ourselves away to others. What do you think about that idea? That we would, that this God would set before our, us his own example of dying for us and giving himself away. And then that's the challenge for us to walk in his footsteps and give ourselves away to others. What, do, you, do you think that's a beautiful thing? I, I do. I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's challenging. And it's so moving because it's God himself that sets the standard for me, having come in the flesh. And in that passage, uh, John challenges us this way. If your brother has need and you ignore your brother, how does the love of God dwell in you? What do you think about the challenge? You see how that challenges us Christians that we want to live out that love that God showed to us. And we feel like if we, as we form a community that's wanting to give, each person is wanting to give himself, herself away to others, it can create an amazing bond. And then that pours itself out into a community. So you're you're just trying to show uh, what we're all about what the ethic of the Bible is all about. Um, so, you know, 1 John 3, 16 through 18, you could, uh, as we did in Sunday school this morning, Romans 13, 8 through 10, where Paul says, do unto others as uh, you would have them do unto you, or love your neighbor as yourself. And as Paul says there and in Galatians, and as Jesus says, This summarized the whole Bible. This is the scripture. Love one another as you would have them love you. Uh, What do you think about that ethic? So those are just some. uh, And then I I think you can talk about the unique, uh, sorry, provisions of scripture and how this affects you and others Uh, that there is forgiveness and you can go through this is what it teaches us about forgiveness so that we are able to uh, come clean about what we struggle with and 
we don't have to hide anymore because we know there is this forgiveness. And it's not just forgiveness, but it's an acceptance and a value and a, a regal standing. Uh, and, and so we are, we're able to talk about this to God and then talk about it with each other and really be honest about who and what we are. And we find that that's a key to change and becoming better people. But see, that, that has some strength just as a human being, you know, that we have that kind of uh, talk about forgiveness. Or you can talk about hope. Or you can talk about we feel like we're the only religion that cares that people die are in, and are in the ground. Nobody else cares about that. They just think, well, they're somewhere. Maybe they do, or maybe they're just gone. And some, somehow we go somewhere. We're, but we care about that body. We're the only religion. We are body-centered in that regard. And we think that's important. We think it's important that this body is recovered. So think about that. Think about the wholeness of a human being. We believe in the wholeness of a human being, body and soul. We don't see any other religion that cares about that or is concerned about it, or just thinks too bad it's gone, you know. But we think God made us and he made us body and soul and he cares about the whole person and he's going to rescue the whole person. That's attractive to me. That, that draws me. And so you're still not arguing for anything. You're just saying this is what we think and we think it's a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing that we're valued in this holistic way by God. So you're, you're just setting before them uh, those provisions, um, and we've already talked about love, or you could talk about the sense of God's providence in our lives, Romans 8, 28, and, and how we'll get to this, but how it affects you uh, and how, is it, how it has affected you. Um, another uh, thing I, I think is, should be included in our little repertoire of apologetics is talking about the Trinity. Now, that, you know, I can't, I hardly ever can be away from the Trinity too much in talking about it. Um, and I'm sorry that's going to be that way for a long time, however long I'm with you. But, um, but I think discussing the Trinity can be helpful with non Christians. We might think that it's confusing. Let's don't talk about it. It's one God, three persons. They're just going to walk away scratching their heads and say, y'all are weird, you know, whatever. But they can, anybody can generally get this idea that somehow within this one person of God, there is fellowship. Like, just imagine, you know, I'm, I'm telling someone, just imagine that the God who made all things exists as family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they have relationship, that they enter into each other's lives and welcome each other, that they have joy in each other, uh, that this constitutes their very being is fellowship and relationship. That, to me, is a beautiful idea, and that's why when we say God is love, we don't mean he's love once he made people to love, but he's always been love within himself. We think that's a beautiful idea and it's singular in any conception of God in the history of the world that a God exists in this form of love <clears throat> and then 
maybe consider this. We think that has incredible ex, uh, power of explanation because we value relationship more than anything else, just about. A, a child born has to have relationship. This child has to be held, has to be whispered to and cared for. Uh, we all know the pain of divorce or rejection, and we all know how incredibly important it is to have friends and relationship, and how important family is to us. And see, for our viewpoint, we're like that because we're made in the image of God who is relationship. And to us, that's just a beautiful explanation of why we are what we are uh, that roots itself in God himself. Now, you, again, you're just saying this is what we believe and we think it's beautiful. And I've said it before you, you know, as uh, an attractive thing for for you to believe as well. Um, so, yeah, what uh, I just what better explains what any human being recognizes about the need of every person for loving relationship than the fact that we've been made in the image of God who is loving relationship. So, family is important because the God in whose image we are made is a family. Um, Another aspect, and this one's a little, this isn't something that you would just perhaps lead with, but you might get into a conversation with them about creation. Um, now, there are plenty of works. I read a work by Michael Denton in the, I think it was in the late 70s, early 80s. He was a microbiologist in Australia, and he was an agnostic. So this book was not from a Christian standpoint. And it's over 400 pages, and he just blisters evolution the whole time from a scientific viewpoint. And I've read several books like that. Um, so there are books you can get if you want to steal yourself a little bit if, in case the discussion goes that way, uh, that you can know the facts. Because I... I started that book thinking, I bet I'm going to read about evolution and I'm going to just scratch my head and say, gosh, there's so many strong points about evolution, but what do you do? You know, now I find out there are no strong points about biological evolution. Um, that uh, scientists uh, to posit that spontaneous generation occurs in a closed system that is from no outside influence and then life comes from non-life. Uh, as one scientist put it, um, we know that's impossible, that life would come from non-life. But the alternative, which is God, is unthinkable, right? That, so that's a declaration not of science. It's a declaration of religion. It's a declaration of faith, right, of philosophical uh, commitment. So uh, that's... That's the kind of thing you may run into, but at least for you, you can read enough and study enough to realize uh, the, that biological evolution has really no uh, basis in science, science. And it has no, there's no way to prove any of it to start with because those things aren't before us uh, to 
observe. Um, I'm going to say no more except this. But when we are talking about creation, here's a point where we are proclaiming to them what Scripture says, and we're not trying to be mean about it, but we're just saying, I believe this is where you're coming from. This is what we believe about the Bible. That Scripture says that the evidence of God is clear for every human being. That's our view. Evidence is clear for any human being. We have no excuse. We believe that. I believe you have no excuse not to believe in God because it's so apparent. And I would usually throw in, and the more we learn about microbiology, uh, et cetera, it just gets more and more that way, right? But um, I believe that you are denying the truth. And that's what our, uh, one of our writers in the New Testament, Paul, says that uh, they are suppressing the truth about God and make it be something else. And that's where I think you are. Uh, so in that state, don't, don't ever back down and say, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe it speaks of God. It speaks of God for me, but maybe it doesn't speak of God for you. No, here you want to say, it speaks of God. You know? And you, I'm sure you disagree with me, but that's what we believe. We believe that. And at least sometimes with people, that could give them a little bit of uneasiness, you know, to say to them, to speak the word and say, the word says you're suppressing what is plainly showing itself to you. That's, that's what we think. That's what this, the Bible says about us as human beings. Um, and it may give them something, you know, to think about. Uh, it proclaims his glory, Psalm 19. Creation clearly demonstrates that there's a creator, Romans 1, so there's no excuse. And so we need to uh, not approach that from a neutral ground. Um, maybe it points to God, maybe it doesn't, but that it does point to God. So those are just a couple of things about the creation. To speak, uh, don't, don't allow them... Uh, to redefine that, but just speak what the Bible says from this. Now, another thing, uh, and this I think is uh, very important, and when you see how Paul in these events is really, I mean, he's proclaiming what Christ did to him, but he's speaking about his own experience, all right? He's speaking about what happened to him, about his own experience, and this lines up with the fact that our lives need to draw people uh, to Christ uh, to let them know what's happened in your life, to let them know how your marriage has been affected by this or how your relationship to your children or, or, or friends, uh, et cetera, how your life's been changed from what it was to what it is and let that just speak as a, as a testimony to say, I was this kind of person years ago but now in these ways I'm, I'm a really a different kind of person and it's because of all these things that the gospel has uh, turned me in uh, maybe tell how forgiveness has changed and enriched our lives how forgiveness has enabled us to forgive others 
and to have resources for patience and endurance. Uh, perhaps how God's power and his word have helped us to fulfill responsibilities that we used to not fulfill um, and accomplishments that, that's been done. How he's enabled us to progressively grow in character. How our view of the future gives us hope and assurance in the worst circumstances. Even share some of the most devastating things that have happened to you and talk about what his word has done, his gospel, and what the new community that you're a part of has done for you. you know, you're just sharing. You're just opening up the beauty of what's happened in your life and what's happened in your church's life. You could share other people's good things that have happened in their lives uh, and the way the church has, has ministered to each other. Uh, so I think this part of our defense is critical because it involves the day-to-day -day living that every non-Christian experiences. Uh, the joy, self-sacrifice, love, endurance, diligence, and hope that are supplied to us are the very kinds of attitudes and character traits that even non-Christian people admire. And many times this is the first thing that attracts them, you know, as we've said before. Um, so you can talk about how uh, it generates purpose in your life, uh, a construct of, of all of history, uh, how it helps you deal with your fears, of your own fears and struggles and how the gospel has helped you in those ways. So um, then finally, uh, just remember it's always belief versus belief. They always come at, generally, they come at us thinking we're the real philosophical, free thinkers, neutral thinkers, scientific thinkers, and you all are just knee-deep. In fact, I love this statement we got from a lady uh, on the beach up in Rhode Island some years ago. Um, she's a total, uh, you know, denies Christianity and all this, and so... Our friends are really faithful Christians that have the house that we go to in Rhode Island. So we were walking down the beach, I was walking down the beach and ran into her. And uh, she's also the guardian of the beach, making sure nobody's there that's not supposed to be. And uh, I said, yeah, we're uh, here with, uh, you know, our friends. Um, and she says, oh, she and her mom, they're up to their eyeballs in religion, you know, like this. So... What was interesting was the next year we were talking about some person in history and she says something like, well, I think he's still around. I think he's watching us. I think he's, he's here. You know, he's still here, that just person that died. You think, you're up to your eyeballs in religion. You know, <laughs> everybody has a religion. Everybody has philosophy. And your view of, of uh, science, your view of Jesus, your view of anything, is because you have made commitments philosophically and religiously. Don't ever let anyone break you out of belief versus belief. You always say, no, well, that's not provable. That's not scientific. That's what you believe about how the world began. So it's your belief versus my belief. 
And I think it's good for this times when someone will say, well, I'm just a skeptic in regard to Christianity. I know what you mean. I'm a skeptic too. I can't believe the philosophy that you have or the religion that you have. People don't like to think they have a religion. They like to think they're neutral, they're scientific. Uh, but that itself, even to say that is a philosophy, right? Uh, to, to say that all religions are the same, that's a religion, right? That's a philosophical stance. You believe that all religions are the same. Where did you get that? Did you read it from a book? Did it come from, you know, all that kind of thing? What is your source of truth? Everyone has a Bible. Um, and everyone has some kind of ultimate authority by which they conclude what is right or wrong. They have a belief system as well as that we have a belief system. It could be a cultural opinion, a historical opinion. It could be the various collection of teachings. But in the end, they have a source just like we have a source. Um, so um, always you can ask, on what grounds do you say that? What's your system of belief? Um, and realize that uh, always to keep it on that, keep it religion, religion, faith versus faith, um, belief versus belief. So these are just some things. These are uh, not super heavy, but it's just a whole way to, you know, if and when and, and pray. Ask God to open up those opportunities that you might be able to speak and show forth the beauty of that's in your life and the beauty that is there in the word of God itself. Well, let's pray. Lord, bless us to be used in your hands as Jesus uh, expected that we would be that we, and, and declares who we are, that we are the light of the world and that we could so let our uh, works shine before others that they would glorify our Father in heaven. And Peter, in the midst of uh, suffering, in the midst of persecution, uh, could say to the people of God, continue to live out love, to con continue to do good as you entrust yourself to God and his care in the midst of your suffering. And, and they will glorify God. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be used uh, in all of our circumstances to bring glory to your name as we reflect your love and speak of your love and we speak of your beauty to others and we ask this for Jesus' sake, amen.